Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi welcoming you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. I'm one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and on our panel today we have Steve Wilson. Steve is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is a Christian author and also a Christian game programmer. Also with us today is Vicki Cundiff, who is one of the staff pastors at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And finally tonight, today actually, we have Mick Wells with us. Mick is a member of Wells of Salvation Ministries. He is also one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program. And last time, during our last episode, we started things off with a testimony, and I kind of shared my testimony, and it was based on the scripture as found in 1 Peter 3.15. And Vicki, you have the New Living Translation of that, don't you? Yes, I do. Would you go ahead and read that for us, please? Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about our hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So what I was thinking of is it might be nice for our listeners to be able to get to know those of us who have been on the panel here for Reconciling Grace by having us give our testimony. So last week, I gave my testimony, and this time, it's going to be time for Mick Wells to give his testimony. So Mick, why don't you start out by letting us know a little bit about your faith and your faith journey and how you came to the Lord, and just take it from there. Well, thanks, Pete. Yeah, it's a privilege to be able to explain uh, my walk with Jesus and how I came to begin that uh, Christian journey. Somebody once said that um, your testimony, your personal testimony, is one, is a most powerful witness because, among other things, uh, nobody can contradict what you say. I mean, it's what you've lived through. It's your story. Everybody has a story. Uh, this is my Christian story. And I have to say, I was, I was thinking about how I came to know Jesus. My story really starts with my grandparents. Sometime back in the Great Depression, uh, this married couple, my grandma and my grandpa on my dad's side, they uh, became Christians in the Great Depression era. Um, and that led to them bringing my father to church. And something similar happened on my mother's side and, and my grandmother on, on her side went to church and they introduced who would be my parents to the Lord. And they came to know Jesus. And it was shared through the generations. Now I have to say that my commitment to Jesus Christ happened uh, initially at age five, and I say initially because I later made a recommitment to the Lord Jesus. I was a PK, and when I was singing in the Wells of Salvation Gospel Band on a regular basis, I would call myself a PK, and a lot of people thought I was from a lumber company. So what does PK <laughs> mean, just for those who might not know? Preacher's kid. Ah. Yeah, there's a few of us around. And I was saved at age five. My dad had become a minister in a Pilgrim Holiness Church. 
my first memory as a human being, my first memory were attending his church and living in Elmwood Place in Cincinnati. Uh, Dad was assigned a basement church. Uh, we met in the basement. It didn't even have an upper floor. We just all went down in the basement there. But one time he gave an altar call, and in retrospect, I fully believe I understood what I was doing when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. It wasn't like, oh, look at all the people going up to the altar. I think I'll join him. I actually gave my heart to the Lord at, at age five under my dad's ministry. Uh, later on, I was baptized at age 12. I was sprinkled, if you will, uh, when Dad asked me to be baptized. And uh, much later in my life, I was baptized again when I felt like I should in connection with the recommitment to the Lord. Uh, God worked through my parents uh, to give me a very good childhood. I didn't realize how bad off we were. <laughs> until later on and looking back we were very poor uh, had a lot of meatless meals before they knew that we were, they were healthy for you and uh, hand-me-down clothing uh, we moved all over the place by the time I graduated from high school I lived in 17 houses Wow <laughs> um, I didn't have a, a real good experience uh, with what I'll call churchianity um, unfortunately the the churches that dad ministered in were associated with very uh, legalistic views of, about salvation in the Christian walk. And, and my mother uh, went through a lot of hard times. Uh, she was not allowed, due to the, the belief of churchgoers, she was not allowed to wear a makeup or a wedding ring. She couldn't cut her hair. She had to wear long dresses. Uh, she had to wear closed-toed shoes, and everybody had an expectation of what the pastor's wife was supposed to be, what she was supposed to do. And the pressures on her were immense, and unfortunately, I, uh, I witnessed her uh, struggle through this, even a, a nervous breakdown while behind the wheel on the road. It scared my sister and I to pieces. Extreme stress and, and crying. Um, my dad, I didn't really understand how much I appreciated what he did as a provider in the home, but not only were he and mom spiritual leaders in the family, my dad went the extra mile to um, do things for the family to supplement the money, uh, the income. He ended up doing things like selling cars and shoes and encyclopedias and hardware. And the church would find out, they'd call a meeting, and then they'd cut his salary because he was doing that. And it was largely because I needed medical uh, help. I needed my, I was born with a lip with an extra muscle and my nose was crooked. It's still crooked if you look at it at a certain angle. Um, but he went out and earned extra money to pay my medical bills and that's the response he got. So I went through a, a number of things, experiences that um, kind of soured me on, on not, not God. I can safely say that all through my life I have maintained uh, a t uh, an extremely strong faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, there were times when uh, the church aspect of that was, was very onerous to, to my family. We, we were even homeless 
for a while. Mom and dad were very uh, musical and uh, introduced me to music and I kind of pursued that into my uh, adult Christian life. Well, you know, um, when I was a sophomore in college, there was a young lady, uh, she and I uh, became um, enamored, boyfriend, girlfriend, if you will, and uh, the Methodist Church had an opportunity for student pastors. My upbringing gave me an, a, a very good idea of what it uh, involved, and my commitment to the Lord saw this as an open door, and I wanted to help people in, in their faith. Uh, that did not work out very well because a year and a half into that marriage, it broke up, and I had to leave the, um, the pastoral ministry. So, so, so all of the bad experiences that the church gave you, you called it churchianity, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the, well, the bad experiences, to, to put it that way, um, and then you decided, hey, I'm going to serve the church? Can, why, why would you want to serve that which hurt you so much? I think it was compassion for people. I think it was people's need to know uh, true Christianity and what Jesus could do for them to somehow get them to see that the games that are often played in churches have missed the point. They're secondary to the essence uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we're supposed to be in the world. It's it's not a social circle. It's not a club. It's it's a means of getting together to worship, uh, sharing experiences, sharing personal testimonies, and then going out and do what the Lord commissioned not just student pastors but all Christians to do, and that it, it gives us all a ministry. It's not all pastoral ministry, however, and I've hung my hat on that in, in my uh, uh, adult years, my senior years too. <laughs> so even at that young age, <clears throat> excuse me, relatively young age, you were able to separate in your own spirit, in your own heart, the difference between the church and Christ. And you understand what I mean by that. Um, Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus is oftentimes different than having a relationship with the church or the congregation. Am I making that does that sound right? Does that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, church is what uh, Christendom has made it. I mean, you you can't take a church and find an, a, by today's standards and look in the Bible and find that replicated somewhere. The essence of our faith is a relationship with Jesus Christ and communicating to people with the help of the Holy Spirit what they should know, what they should uh, be able to do, how they should, uh, in our weaknesses, look to his strengths to help us in this life to be a witness for Jesus and the kingdom. And so, yeah, Pete, I'd say that that separation was very clear. It's always been clear. I, uh, I did have, despite my wonderful parents, I did have inculcated in me what I consider a flawed theology, though, because my mother, for example, would say that any time she had a bad thought, she lost her salvation. Huh. Any time she did something that arguably displeased God, she thought she had to get saved all over again. Well, 
<clears throat> a lot of children adopt the views of their parents, and in that regard, I had, and it turned out to be quite onerous. I think you can read in the scripture, even Paul says, all the good things I want to do, I can't do them. Um, so I quit trying to scramble on this treadmill that constantly was a, a cycle of gaining and losing salvation. Let me share with you a verse or a series of verses here that I found extremely meaningful to me. This is from 2 Timothy 2, and I can come back after the break and talk about this, but I want to read it for you. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And these are words, by the way, footnotes in Bible will tell you that's from an early Christian hymn, and I've leaned on these very hard. And what was that passage from again? Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It's an interesting uh, passage, and you know, it's part of the Bible, and we need to uh, be cognizant of that, don't we? Yes. Well, and I also need to be cognizant of the fact that we do need to have a break for our sponsor, so we'll be right back with the next half of Reconciling Grace. And we're back with Reconciling Grace, and today's episode we've been hearing from Mick Wells and his testimony. And Mick, you just had gotten done before the break by reading a passage from 2 Timothy. So where would you like to pick up from here? Yeah, I'd like to uh, focus on that last verse I read, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful or he cannot disown himself. And the way I read that, um, it, it came, became clear and very important to me at a, at a low point in my spiritual life. I found that I was helpless through my own efforts to remain in the good graces of God. I had to step back and say, God's reconciling grace is much greater than my ability of my own efforts and my own uh, deeds to try to stay in his good graces. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In other words, maybe even back to the when I, at age five, gave my life to the Lord, and he came into my life, and the Holy Spirit lived in me. There were times when I wasn't faithless in terms of my trust and confidence and faith in Jesus, but there were certainly times of discouragement when the enemy of our souls would try to tell me, you're not saved anymore. But despite that roller coaster ride I was on from an emotional and a spiritual standpoint, a verse that says, we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He lived in me, he lives in me now and he remains faithful. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I want to point out is that all through the years, no matter what the circumstance, I've had the strongest of faith in God. I have not disowned him. You know, this 
in theological circles, this gets debated uh, to high heaven. Nobody can snatch us out of the hand of Jesus. This verse says, though, that if we disown him, he will disown us. Nobody's snatching, but if I disown the God that I've put my faith and trust in, the, the word clearly says he will disown us. I, I can be here today to testify that I have never disowned Jesus. He's always been there for me. He has uh, met my every need. He's done so at times in, in miraculous ways. I'd like to point out that uh, it was 1980 when I confessed to the Lord that I'm going to give up this roller coaster ride of trying to stay saved. Okay? I needed his reconciling grace. Now, 1980 is an interesting year because, as you point out, every program, I've been with Wells of Salvation Ministry since 1980. Can you see the connection there? Yep. Yeah. I came back and, having surrendered my life, uh, recommitted to Jesus. It was 1980, and I got involved, if not uh, in pastoral ministry, in other means of ministering. God was still able to use me, and that's not proof of his faithfulness, but it was certainly uh, what he did for me. He opened doors. I was playing in a rock band back then. I suddenly, when I recommitted my life to the Lord, I wanted to write Christian music. I wanted my efforts and my abilities and my gifts uh, to glorify God. And I started going back to church. You know, there have been eight years when I was, you know, just the cumulative effect of growing up as a PK and um, having to, had to leave the ministry. I, I grew kind of bitter uh, toward churches, not toward God. He's always been there for me, and I want to reiterate that. <clears throat> but even going back to church at 1980 with this fresh commitment or recommitment to the Lord, <clears throat> a lot of churches made me feel like a second-class Christian. They'd pull me aside and say, you can sit in the congregation, you can sing the hymns, you can put money in the offering, but you can't get up and teach. You can't get up and sing. You can't get up and do these things. Well, why is that? And, and uh, I had remarried by that time after a period of three years. They said, because you're married to more than one woman. I said, I am? If I'm married to more than one woman, you better call the authorities on me. <laughs> so anyhow, that was just a, a, a little aside uh, for the price of admission here. Sure. And, and you know, kind of, I don't want to get off the track, but, you know, this gets me to think about something here, Mick. You had talked about the extreme legalism with which you were brought up, and it is almost as though after your divorce, you kind of moved away from the church and its legalism. Um, and even here, you're talking about the fact the churches were kind of being rather legalistic with you after your remarriage as well. My, my question, I think, kind of goes along the way of how has this legalism that you were brought up with, how has this affected you for the rest of your life? And, and he, some people just get go off the deep end the other way and say, forget it, I'm not going to have any kind of uh, 
discipline when it comes to to Christianity and others, you know, they they can't get away from all these legalistic rules and laws. How has that uh, made itself known in your life, I would guess? God's given me a love and a compassion for people, okay? My faith is in God. It's not in churches, church doctrines. I have never found a church, by the way, that I've agreed with everything in their statement of belief or or their um, their creeds or, or whatever, uh, their practices and what have you. I don't think I'll ever find one. But in answer to your question, God has given me an appreciation for people who don't believe as I do, so that even when they're saying, Mick, you can't be saved because you don't believe this, or this happened in your background, or whatever, I'm able to say, Jesus loves you, and I don't I don't take offense because they are expressing their, that's the way they express their faith in God. They think they're following him. You know, the Bible tells us not to eat certain things if it's going to affect the uh, faith of another person. I'm not oriented to, to get so tied up in the challenge of debate on these things because Jesus has said, I died for that person. And when they talk to you, they're intent is to put you in a right relationship with God, even though I consider it flawed. So my attitude and response to legalism is that I don't practice legalism uh, in, in the sense that I was brought up, but I do appreciate the differences. I overlook differences in the name of seeing that people have a solid relationship with Jesus without being judgmental toward them. So in other words, you have grace towards them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, if anybody out there has got the market cornered on doctrinal truth to the point where they're the only person or group going to heaven, then and there's a lot of us in trouble. Mm-hmm. I think our God's bigger than that. Yeah, I do too. And I, that, that that's part of our, our reason for being here, I think, in reconciling grace, because there are different ways of understanding our God. I, I like to put it this way. Our God is so big that we can't even come close to comprehending everything about him. Well, you know, um, God did give me uh, the opportunities to serve him in many ways. We've gone into prisons with the Wells of Salvation Gospel Band. Uh, we've been we've been in public concerts. He's given me opportunities to speak on radio programs such as this, and Cross Connection. Uh, opportunity to write newsletter articles, uh, to do cartooning and maintain a website for Wells of Salvation Ministries. Opportunities, and this is a big one, t- to witness in our secular career. In my secular career. I found, having spent 30 years in working for the Air Force, I was frequently called upon to give prayers. That's not politically correct anymore in public circles, but I would pray to Jesus, and I would make sure that it wasn't just praying for the audience that was there, it was a prayer to Jesus Christ. There was a, that was an open door, an open window, if you will, from Jesus, a divine appointment to share. It was an opportunity to give the reason for the hope that I have, as the, the scripture that Vicki read uh, tells us. So um, 
I've been very blessed in my life. Uh, this is uh, an extension of, of the spiritual walk. I've had the opportunity uh, to raise three children, haven't always been successful as a father. Uh, I do want to share with you very briefly that I, was, I benefited from a miracle. Um, nearly 20 years ago, I found myself on the operating table. I was given six months to live. I had a ballooning mitral valve in my heart. I was face, facing open heart surgery. I prayed for divine healing, which I always do first, and then I go to the doctors, and if God chooses to work through doctors, then so be it. I came through the operation. My heart was repaired by a doctor with the help of the Lord, but I had lost my voice. When I came out of anesthesia, and for days and even months, my voice was gone. No more singing. No more sharing, no more teaching, no more preaching. People all around me were saying, sue the surgeon, sue the anesthesiologist, sue the hospital. And I'd write to them because I couldn't talk, or I'd whisper, and I'd say, you know, God healed my heart through this surgeon. Why would I turn around and sue him? He did his best. He sweat profusely for five hours working on my heart. My heart was literally taken out of my chest and turned around and repaired with an artificial valve. I had scopes, pictures taken of my vocal cords. Two and three months after this operation, when I had no voice, uh, ENT specialist looked at it. He says, your voice is gone. I want you to hold no hope for a repair. It's permanent, and we're going to send you to therapy. One, one of my vocal folds was paralyzed completely. Internet was kind of young back then, but I found online this pastor in British Columbia, and I struck up a uh, cyber conversation with him on email. He had had problems with his voice. He prayed a wonderful prayer in writing on email. And one afternoon, I'm in my home, and my voice came back, bam, <laughs> like that. And I noted the day and time. And then I found an email from him with the day and time of his prayer. That gets you even now, doesn't it? It does. God healed me. Well, praise the Lord. God healed me. And I got to go back and witness to the ENT and the voice therapist. But I believe in a God who not only saves, but is interested in our personal lives. And he's interested in our well-being, and I believe he walks with us and talks with us. And he still performs miracles. And I don't say that for everybody out there in the radio audience to expect miracles. I can't expect a miracle every time, but I freely go to God and ask for him to do what man says is impossible because the Bible tells me things that are impossible with men are possible with God. God healed my voice and uh, he did it without a lawsuit. What, what would a huge settlement have done? It wouldn't have brought back my voice, but Jesus said, Mick, here's your voice back.
I've learned that Jesus Christ stays closer than a brother. He'll never let you down. We have to allow our self-concept, what we think of ourselves, to be shaped by how Jesus sees us and not by what others tell us or how they see us. And uh, I give thanks and glory to God for what he's done in my life, and as long as I live, I want to serve him. What a wonderful testimony. Amen. That's great. And, you know, Mick, you may have been looking at the clock. I don't know, but we're just about out of time. I would love to be able to explore some more with you, but I think we're going to just have to kind of end things up here. This is Pete Vecchi, and for Steve Wilson, and for Vicki Cundiff, and for Mick Wells, we want to thank you for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.